0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Dr. Ishna Sharma, current bariatric, metabolic, and minimally invasive surgery fellow at Mayo Clinic's Rochester campus. Obesity has become a significant public health crisis in both the U.S. and around the world. Of the approximately 250,000 bariatric procedures performed in the U.S. annually, an estimated 4% are endoscopic procedures. This includes primary procedures such as intergastric balloon and endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty. There are also post-bariatric secondary procedures that can be performed as well. The role for endoscopy in obesity management is continuing to evolve. Today, we're joined by Dr. Barham Abudaye, a Mayo Clinic gastroenterologist specializing in bariatric endoscopy, who will guide us as we discuss the current field of endoscopic bariatrics as well as future directions. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Abudaye.
1: My pleasure, Ashna. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: So as a gastroenterologist, you could have specialized in a wide variety of GI diseases. What drew you to the field of bariatrics?
1: What drew me to the field of bariatric, I knew that the solution for the problem of excess adiposity lies in the GI tract. We know this much from understanding the physiology and pathophysiology of metabolic diseases But what really solidified this concept is we know that you get a procedure like a gastric bypass and metabolic diseases go into remission or resolve very quickly after the procedure, sometimes independent of the weight loss. Therefore, what drew me into the field is how could we utilize the potential of the GI tract to develop scalable interventions that capitalize on the same pathways implicated in bariatric surgery, but in a fashion where we could maintain the structure and the function of the organ. That means you do not need to lose the organ in the process, and you could scale it just like cardiovascular uh, docs did with revascularization of the heart in a fashion that appeals and could be scaled to the masses to really impact the disease and its comorbidities.
0: So finding a minimally invasive way of obtaining the same benefits for decreasing these patients' comorbidities without permanently affecting their anatomy. I know you do quite a bit of complex endoscopic work. In terms of purely bariatric disease, do you tend to see mainly primary patients who haven't had any intervention so far, or do you mainly see weight regain patients after bariatric procedures?
1: We see both cohorts of patients, and as you know, we do not have a cure for excess adiposity or the disease of obesity uh, as of 2023. We have management options that reduce the body weight in order to decrease the excess adiposity burden and to decrease the metabolic complications that comes from that. With that mindset, given that we do not have a cure, So we manage both patients who are entering into a treatment paradigm, that means they felt lifestyle interventions as a treatment option, and now they're ready to embark on a journey where they use procedures, surgeries, or medications to help them with their weight loss journey. But also we treat a cohort of patients with recurrence after the different forms of bariatric surgery in order to augment the restriction that uh, people lose with time after some of these procedures, and get them back on track to adopt a healthier lifestyle and manage their excess adiposity and their excess weight. So both cohorts we do see and we do offer endoscopic interventions as primary and as a a revisional procedures for weight recurrence after the different forms of bariatric surgical interventions.
0: So when we're looking at a primary patient who's failed lifestyle modifications, what BMI have you found or what is the patient who hasn't had any procedure thus far? What is the kind of classic patient or the patient best served with an endoscopic technique?
1: That's a good question. And before I answer this question directly, it's very important to highlight that 90% 8% 8% of the burden of excess adiposity as a disease is not being addressed in the United States of America in this current day age. So to make an impact, it's always good to have guidelines, but to make an impact is we need to give patients more therapeutic options in order to treat this disease as a chronic disease, because we know that the complications of this disease are going unchecked and people are dying from this disease of excess adiposity. To that end, We have to view the therapeutic offering on a spectrum. You enter the spectrum based on the severity of the disease. So if you have overweight disease status, you could start with lifestyle interventions. Starting with medications might be a good option. If you have class 1 or class 2 obesity, that means your body mass index is between 30 to 40, with or without comorbidities, starting with an endoscopic intervention might make sense uh, because of the risk-benefit ratio is is there. If you have class three obesity or more advanced stages of obesity, then starting with bariatric surgery would be prudent because that's the most effective and durable intervention that we have for the disease of uh, obesity. However, to me, the fact that the vast majority of disease is being unchecked means that we need to be flexible because the only effective intervention is the intervention that the patient would like or is motivated to follow? That means we could give recommendations where to to guide patients into maximizing this risk benefit. But if I have patients who say, "Doc, I really I'm not gravitating toward that intervention. I know what you're talking about. I know what I'm getting into, but I'm." outside of what you would recommend for bariatric endoscopy, but I do not want any other options. To me, these are still reasonable candidates because nowadays we could combine bariatric endoscopy with medications. So to answer your questions directly, the best cohort right now is a cohort that do not meet the eligibility criteria for bariatric surgery. Because if you do meet the eligibility criteria for bariatric surgery, We should counsel you to get bariatric surgery, but a lot of people do not meet the eligibility criteria for bariatric surgery or they do not desire bariatric surgery. And this is the cohort of patients that we offer them these endoscopic intervention as a standalone or in combination with medication in order to treat the disease of excess adiposity and obesity.
0: So for this window of patients, if they come to a PCP, you know, a PCP may be asked to counsel them briefly on the kinds of endoscopic techniques that are potential options for this patient. So what are the most common endoscopic techniques? And and can you talk a little bit about each one that might be offered to this patient?
1: Let me focus on the techniques that are available in the United States market. There's others that are available in the global market. But since this is we're talking about a U.S. predominant cohort, let's focus on what's FDA approved and uh, available. Available for US patients. The two interventions that are available for US patients gravitate around uh, using the stomach as a therapeutic modality. That means that they work on gastric pathways for weight loss, and they take two flavors. One flavor is as an implantable device that occupies space within the stomach, affects the gastric emptying and the accommodation of the stomach. And the second version is a gastric remodeling techniques where you go through the mouth and you change the shape of the stomach into a small restrictive banana-like structure or in order to also affect the gastric accommodation and the gastric emptying, impacting satiety and satiation of patients. So implantable devices and gastric remodeling devices, the gastric remodeling technique, the main procedure that we're offering is a procedure that actually we developed at the Mayo Clinic in 2012-2013, and it's called the endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty. What happens with that procedure is under a sedation in an outpatient setting, the endoscope is advanced with a sewing machine, and what we do instead of removing the stomach, we basically fold the stomach on itself along the greater curvature. You make a sleeve-like structure, but you're maintaining the structure. Uh, you're maintaining the function of the stomach. That means patients do not develop macro or micronutrient deficiency. The risks of of complications, just such as leaks uh, or infection, is minimized, and the recovery after this procedure is quick. and Patients are at and at and about uh, within a few days after the intervention. The other advantage of this technique, where we do it through the mouth, is you have preserved your options for future interventions for excess adiposity. That means we know that it's a chronic progressive disease. So if you have a young patient that gets the procedure and the procedure dilates with time, you could always retighten that procedure endoscopically. You could always convert it if they meet class- criteria to a bariatric surgery, or you could add medication or a more intensified lifestyle and behavioral program on top of it. That's why... A lot of patients gravitate toward this endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty because it gives them a tool that is minimally invasive, anatomy sparing, in order to enable them to adopt healthy living to lose weight. The other class, which is within the bariatric endoscopy realm, is intragastric balloon. And these are implantables that you could in the stomach. They dwell in there in the stomach in a period between six months to a year, depending on the design of the gastric balloon. Some of them are adjustable, some of them are not adjustable. But the idea of the balloon is they truly preserve the structure and function of the stomach. That means once you remove them, Everything goes back to a native or a virgin anatomy. Therefore, some people who do not want any procedure to alter the stomach, they gravitate toward the intragastric balloon as a treatment option. The disadvantage of the intragastric balloon is that once you remove them, you're removing the driver of weight loss. That's to mean you have to view it as a weight loss strategy to be followed with a clear pathway for a weight maintenance strategy after removal of the balloon in order to maintain a durable effect and improvement of the comorbidities with such a strategy.
0: So it sounds like for a primary patient, the two kind of classic options endoscopically are a sleeve gastroplasty or an intragastric balloon. When a PCP sees a patient who's had either of these either immediately or maybe months or, or even years later, what are some situations they may come to a PCP with and how can a PCP help work up and help these patients?
1: That's a good question uh, because we're going to see more and more adoptions of these interventions. So the primary care physician is going to be an important partner in dealing with, with the issue that could potentially come with such a treatment. And with with these, I separate them into the acute and the more chronic setting. In the acute, any of these interventions that decrease the volume of the stomach or you're introducing an object in the stomach, they're, they're gonna come associated with what we call as accommodative symptoms. That means there's gonna be some abdominal cramps, some nausea, and maybe some vomiting in the period where the stomach adjusts to this new anatomy. In that period, Most of the time is the proceduralists with their team or the bariatric program is taking care of that patient to get them to that area where there could be acute issues that come up from the intervention. If the primary care were to interact with the patient during that period, it's highly important to have open channels of communication between the primary care physician and the bariatric team that offer that intervention in order to best manage that patients through the acute setting of this intervention. Now the advantage of the endoscopic treatment is once you're beyond this acute phase of things, very little things could have could happen in the long term. That means it's given their minimally invasive nature, uh, you're not we're not seeing issues like macro or micronutrient deficiencies. Uh, we're not seeing issues related to ulceration or strictures or obstruction. We're not seeing uh, kidney stones or what have you. So once they're beyond the first few months after the intervention, which is the acute phase of the intervention, the long-term seems seems to be more forgiving uh, with the endoscopic bariatric options. Nonetheless, some patients could develop maladaptive eating behavior, even with endoscopy. So it's very important to have a vigilance if you're suspecting vitamin deficiencies or if you're suspecting that patients are just maladapting uh, to this procedure, To just recognize that some versions of this procedure especially the gastric remodeling could maintain their effect over years rather than the implantable over months and if you're if you have any reason to suspect any issues related to the intervention the key message is dialogue with the primary team who offered this intervention and together you will better take care of that patient but the good news is after the initial period of accommodation the risk profile of these interventions are very favorable Uh, in the long-term because of their uh, anatomy-sparing nature.
0: Thank you, that's an excellent summary of the endoscopic techniques for a a primary bariatric patient. Switching gears a little bit, you know, the most common procedure right now for bariatric surgery is a sleeve gastrectomy, and second most common is a gastric bypass, but these patients do come back sometimes with weight regain. So in these situations, what kind of endoscopic techniques are, are offered?
1: We take weight recurrence or weight regain very serious at the Mayo Clinic because patients get really frustrated with that. They have undergone major surgery and they've, they've tried their best throughout their lifetime to lose the weight. And now when they see the weight started to come back, they feel very discouraged and very disappointed uh, with that. Therefore, we never blame the patient because the patients are not to blame by weight recurrence. We go back to the concept of this is a chronic relapsing disease that we just need to escalate therapy and tackle it from a multifactorial or multidisciplinary approach in order to serve the patient. So we need to support the patient rather than play this blame game in that process. With that mindset in mind, we offer them a truly multidisciplinary approach. That means they see the endocrinologist, they see the dietitians, they see the psychologists, They see the endoscopist, and they see the surgeon, and we together come up with the best plan, and often the best plan is a combination of things. So if you got, for example, a sleeve gastrectomy or a gastric bypass, and the anatomy the restrictive anatomy has dilated, that means the sleeve gastrectomy became larger in volume or the connection between your gastric pouch and the uh, small intestines in a bypass becomes dilated. So now you've lost this, this restriction and patients usually tell you, say, Doc, I used to feel I'm very restricted. I could eat smaller meals in the first year after this intervention. Now I could eat full meals and I'm not feeling that restriction anymore. Then we offer them an endoscopic revision to introduce a restrictive element to their bariatric surgery. That means if they got the sleeve and the sleeve volume have dilated, we reduce that sleeve volume using an endoscopic suturing device through the mouth, very similar to the endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty. If they had the gastric bypass and their pouch dilated or the connection, or what we call the gastrojejunal anastomosis dilated, then we go and restrict the volume of that pouch and restrict the diameter of that anastomosis to give them back that restriction. But that's not the end-all for weight to That's an enabling tool to give them or to get them back on track. But then we we augment this with a strong lifestyle, health-to-living, behavioral, and physical activity program. And in some cases, we add obesity pharmacotherapies in order to tackle this, this disease as a multifactorial disease. And in cases where all this fails, then conversion from one bariatric surgery to another, that means if they got the sleeve going to a gastric bypass, if they got a gastric, gastric bypass, think about another intervention like a SADI or a, a SWITCH uh, or what have you, it becomes important at that point. But the key is patients need to be in an active therapeutic program throughout their lifetime in order to minimize the effect of obesity or excess adiposity on health. And that's the key principle and message because none of the interventions are curative for that disease.
0: That's very well said. We have to always remember that obesity is a disease that requires a multidisciplinary approach, and there is unfortunately a lot of loss to follow up that we see uh, in the data for post bariatric surgery patients. So I, I imagine a lot of PCP sees patients who have a remote history of these surgeries, and so it's good to be able to counsel patients that there is a lot of non-surgical options these days to help them in their obesity disease process. Your very highly regarded as a clinician as well as an innovator. And so I was very excited to talk to you about what do you see on the horizon for new endoscopic techniques or combination endoscopic and surgical techniques or just bariatric disease management in general?
1: The future is very exciting. We're going to see probably three themes emerging and all three three themes coalesce. Use the GI tract as a therapeutic modality because we know targeting the GI tract is a key concept in reversing the disease pathophysiology. And the second concept is, preserve the anatomy when you can in order to not burn bridges for escalation therapy down the line. And the third principle, use regenerative medicine paradigms in order to reverse the metabolic clock in this disease. So the enabling tools to allow us to deliver on these three goals is going to be a hybrid between minimally invasive surgical techniques and endoscopic surgery techniques. So we're going to see the field of robotics evolving significantly in order to offer a hybrid approaches between laparoscopy, robotics, and endoscopy to follow these three principles of preserving the anatomy, giving therapeutic interventions, and allowing regenerative paradigms. So the class of devices that we're gonna see coming up are gonna be modular devices. That means you could place them in a minimally invasive fashion through an endoscopic or hybrid endoscopic laparoscopic or robotic platform. You keep them in for a while, you activate gastric and small intestinal pathways. Then you remove them while preserving the anatomy and you can re-engage them down the line once the, uh, depending on the patient needs uh, down the line. So now we, we have the capabilities of creating a gastrointestinal bypass through a hybrid laparoscopic and endoscopic fashion without removing the stomach or reconnecting things into the small intestines. So that means it becomes a gastric bypass benefit with preserving the anatomy or minimally disruption to the anatomy. So you're getting all the benefit of a bypass, but without disrupting that anatomy uh, down the line. And this is gonna be a tool for both bariatric surgeons and bariatric endoscopists to collaborate with in order to deliver and push the limits on minimally invasiveness in that field, realizing that the best solutions are the ones that are focusing on the gut as a therapeutic target. The other evolving field I could see is regenerative medicine. We know that the reason patients have dramatic improvement in their diabetes control after gastric bypass, is that you're bypassing that proximal gut or those proximal small intestines or the duodenum. So what we're gonna see is a lot of tools to regenerate the signals within the proximal gut without bypassing it. So we're gonna see new energy modalities such as pulse electrical field or electroporation that will regenerate the surface of the small intestines in order to reverse the metabolic clock on diseases like type 2 diabetes for treatment modality. So capitalizing on the benefit of bariatric surgery, but without truly altering any anatomy, just regenerating the structure using new energy modality. So the future is bright. Collaboration is going to be the key principle to drive this to patients. And the collaboration is going to be among a multidisciplinary team uh, that include medical doctors, dietitians, nutritionists, psychologists, endoscopist, gastroenterologist, endocrinologist, and bariatric surgeon, for sure, in order to deliver uh, best outcomes and keep pushing the limit. But I'm very convinced that the GI tract is the right to the target, and we know that clearly from bariatric surgery.
0: This is very exciting to hear. And as you said, obesity is a very complex disease, and we're still working as a field to find the best tailored approach for each patient. So this all sounds very exciting, and I'm looking forward to learning more as these techniques become more available. Bringing it back to a PCP uh, who might be seeing an endoscopic, either a patient who meets indications for an endoscopic procedure or post-endoscopy, what are some general takeaways or learning points from today's conversation to help a PCP better counsel a patient?
1: The biggest takeaway from today's conversation, and my plea for all my colleagues, is it's about time to view excess adiposity and obesity as a chronic disease. That's it's the denominator for almost all chronic diseases that we deal with in primary care setting. That means the common denominator for heart disease, kidney disease, even cancer is metabolic dysfunction and inflammation that comes from the disease of obesity. That means treating the disease of obesity could be a therapeutic target for all these common chronic diseases that we see in a primary care fashion. Through history, there has been a lot of therapeutic nihilism. That means there is the idea that let the patient deal with that issue because it's primarily driven by the patient's choice. And the plea is, it's not a patient choice issue, it's a chronic disease. That means therapeutic nihilism will have a cost on the health of that patient down the line. So the idea here is we need to put the patient in an active therapeutic program that is multidisciplinary and just having a recommendation for weight loss without putting the patient in an active therapeutic program is not going to be successful. So the idea here is if you see somebody with a with disease of obesity, classify it, work it up to understand its implication on health, and then administer therapy, whether you yourself as a primary care physician, if you're capable of collaborating with a healthy living paradigm or giving medication, or refer the patient to a bariatric center where the multidisciplinary team could put the patient in an active therapeutic program. So the key is collaboration, and the key is awareness that this is a disease that needs to be treated as
0: such. We've been talking about obesity and endoscopic techniques with Dr. Barham Abudaye. Thank you for your time, Dr. Abudaye.
1: It's a pleasure, Ashna. Thank you so much for putting this together.
0: If you have enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please follow us as we continue our special series on obesity. If you would like to earn CME credit for this obesity related series or other Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please visit ce.mayo.edu. Thank you for listening and tune in next week as we learn more together.